And we're live. G'day. This is Zenium Live, and I'm your host, Scotty North, and we're here to talk all things money, finance, and property. And it's Thursday afternoon, so as I always say, it's the end of the work week. And not only that, it's potentially the end of the work year uh, as we come up to Christmas because, PJ Patterson, you're here for the end of year financial markets wrap. Is that right? Yeah, we're, we're wrapping early this year. Uh, the financial markets can now just close and we can go on holiday for uh, you know, <laughs> two months and uh, come back and see how the world is traveling. Because <laughs> no, yeah, they stop when, when you go away, right? They just stop because they don't trade while you're not there watching them. Is that right? No, no, they don't. Um, I, I wish that were the case. That would be uh, That would be very useful if that were to occur. But of course, given the, the planet does not revolve around me or you, that's, you know, wishful thinking, wishful thinking. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> uh, well, all right. What have you got for us for coming into Christmas and as a wrap for the year? Uh, mate, you know, take us through. We don't probably need too many reminders of the bad things, but let's just get a recap of where it stands now and where we're looking forward over the Christmas break and into next year. Not a problem at all. Well, we certainly are. Uh, we've had a very challenging year this, this past year, but the economies of the world uh, Ex-Australia at the moment seem to be powering ahead. There's a little bit of turbulence in Asia, which is infecting Australia as well. But of course, we've had a series of lockdowns and extended lockdowns. So our economy is still well and truly in recovery phase. But uh, the U.S., Europe powering ahead will likely continue to do so into next year. Uh, I think we're going to have a fantastic Christmas period. I think that's going to help to drive recovery, or continue to drive recovery in the U.S. Uh, and Europe. And we'll hopefully see... Uh, lockdowns and things lifted here in Australia so that people can get out and, and spend and really uh, drive the, the consumer spending side of things, which is a big portion of our GDP. Uh, but what I might do is just take it back to the very high level and the things that I look at in my quadrant model. Uh, actually, it isn't my quadrant model. It's, it's Hedgeye's quadrant model, but it's a fantastic model to use for the full cycle investing process. And those three big macro input factors are growth, inflation and interest rates. So growth is GDP, interest rates, interest rates and inflation is inflation. And the direction of those things, if you get those right, you're going to get a lot of things right in the global macro story. And so as we speak, and I'm sure Australians have noticed in the last couple of weeks here in Australia, we've seen interest rates beginning to rise. Now, the RBA hasn't officially increased interest rates, but the bond market in Australia sensing the fact that we've got a bit of inflationary pressures that have built up in our economy here in Australia is pricing in some rate rises next year. So the RBA is very likely going to have to, to increase interest rates to put a dampener on inflation, which is running reasonably hot. Uh, but also, they'll probably be trying to cool down this red hot property market as well. So we we can certainly be anticipating that interest rates are going to rise in Australia. The good news about our growth story here in Australia is that it also should be increasing, but we're not going to see a substantial increase in GDP really until the third quarter of next year, uh, the, the first quarter and the second quarter. So I'm looking at fiscal year quarters. So the January or the I should say the March and the June quarters. So those are quarters one and two. Uh, are going to see mild increases in Australian GDP, not anything to set the house on fire, which means we're still going to be struggling a little bit to get get off the mat, as it were, the economic mat. Um, but by the time we get to the back half of next year, Australia ought to be looking quite good and powering ahead. Uh, juxtapose this with the U.S., and we're seeing that, again, growth is continuing to power ahead in, as they recover. Uh, inflation in the U.S. is running red hot. And interest rates are also tipped to be rising 
next year with the Federal Reserve there looking to um, hit the brakes or, or tap them higher. What will be interesting in the U.S. in terms of all of this is that as we enter the mid to back half of next year, the U.S. will probably start to slow. So we'll have Australia picking up steam, the U.S. slowing down. Obviously, as we get into next year and we get into that part of the year, we'll, we'll see what the data is showing and what's, um, what's happening at the time. But that's sort of the broader macroeconomic things that are going on that are likely to affect and move markets. So we always come back to inflation. I mean, it doesn't seem to matter what topic we wind up wanting to talk to, we end up bringing up this topic. So the question is, there's a lot of talk, especially in the US, about that at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on, on on even anything, doesn't matter what it's if it's related to money or it's related to some sort of stimulus or it's related to jobs. It, this inflation is a word in that article. Um, do you want to give everyone a, a bit of a brief overview of why that's such topical at the moment? Is it simple? Is it just as simple as because they're printing too much money, um, or is there more to it? And is there what is the way around it apart from raising interest rates? I mean. Does it become its own self-fulfilling prophecy as the more they go down, the more it inflates and so on and so on? How does that yeah. work? Well, the inflation story is several fold at the moment. So we've got a lot of pressures that have built up in the economy. So first of all, you've got things like labor pressures. So uh, people uh, have not returned to work maybe as quickly as they could have um, due to the reopening in the U.S. But certainly wage growth has uh, lagged over the course of the last few years. But now we're seeing shortages of labor. So even basic jobs like just getting people to go back and work in, in hospitality is something that um, many, uh, many businesses are struggling with. So we have wage price inflation, which means that wages are going up. So uh, margins are getting squeezed. And what suppliers or uh, service providers can do, of course, is they can absorb that or what they can do is raise prices. And so many of them are raising prices. So that's one of the first big issues that uh, is having to be dealt with. I, I think this is happening in Australia as well. The second big issue is there are supply constraints. So the global economy just got completely stuffed during the COVID period, and we have not seen a return to the, the normal level of global trade. So all the ships and things that are moving stuff around the planet, um, I have, and it's not anecdotal, it's actually real. There, there are literally hundreds of freighters and uh, shipping container uh, vessels that are sitting off the coasts of major seaports. So the US, uh, in California, uh, on the Atlantic side as well, because they, uh, the port capacity is constricted. So they don't have enough, mm-hmm. for example, truckers to move this stuff around. So there's a number of things you could call them supply chain bottlenecks that have occurred. And, and this too is driving up the cost of goods because if you have uh, a supply issue or a scarcity issue, then of course the prices are going to rise. That will also resolve itself over time. And then finally, probably the biggie, the 800 pound gorilla in the room is of course they have printed, uh, and this is a technical term, a shit ton of money. And, uh, it, and it's found its way into, which it always does, into uh, things like housing and the stock market in the first instance. And um, so what we've seen is a lot of asset price inflation. And that's what happens during quad two is you see a lot of inflation coming into the market. And so inflation is the result of money printing. It isn't money printing mm. uh, necessarily. So the, the money printing is is um, 
growing the money supply or the base of money out there, but you still have to have velocity of money. So the turnover of the currency and the fear that the dollar you receive today isn't going to buy the same amount of goods and services tomorrow. And so people get out there and they spend it and they increase the velocity of money. Anyway, all that is to say that inflation has really begun to tick upwards. Um, it's also a function in many cases of the U.S. dollar and its, its strength or weakness. Now, surprisingly, the U.S. dollar has started to uh, enter, it's entered into a bit of a bullish trend at the moment. So what that means is that it will appreciate against all, most other major currencies, the yen, the euro, the Aussie, uh, the pound, the, the Swiss franc, etc. And uh, so, which is unusual because typically the U.S. dollar only does really well in quad four. So this could be a very short term thing. We'll have to see. Uh, but things like oil and all the commodity uh, complex uh, also have uh, we've seen price increases across the board because of supply constraints, et cetera, as I've already mentioned. So for the time being, the inflation story is going to stick around. Uh, the Fed, you may recall, I think we probably did this on a show a couple months ago where I was mm. I used the word uh, transitory. They were trying to paint this inflation thing as a, as a transitory thing, like it was only temporary, yeah. like it was going to be around for a month or something like that. Like, are you serious? <laughs> Um, yeah, the, these guys are always behind the curve. But anyway, now they've acknowledged that it's actually a thing and um, the consumer's feeling it big time. You know, the prices of rents in the U.S. have gone just through the absolute roof. So if you're a commercial property owner in the U.S. right now, you're laughing because rents are up in, in some major cities by 70 or 80 percent. It's just phenomenal. So um, that's that's inflation. And it, it has a, a wide ranging impact. And, um, you know, as we've also discussed, it's the silent tax. It's the tax that you don't pay explicitly. But, you know, when you go to do your shopping, inflation means that your basket of goods is uh, a little bit smaller. So is this year is let's let's say that um, this year is the year that perhaps caused inflation. If we just want to term it in casual terms, is next year going to be the year that we really feel it or it's going to be the only topic on everyone's tongue? Is, is, is coronavirus going to be replaced with the word inflation in 2022? Yeah, somehow I doubt that. I think that coronavirus uh, will stick around, although um, all the climate changer folks have, uh, you know, greenhouse folks have, have gotten a little bit uh, feeling unloved, I think. So we're starting to see all that wedge its way back into the headlines. So we'll probably get back to the usual suspects that uh, dominate the fear headlines uh, in the mainstream media being coronavirus climate change and and probably now the specter of inflation. Yeah, we'll probably see that hanging around for a little bit. But uh, the reality is that it'll be too little too late. By the time they acknowledge it, it's already too late. I mean, inflation mm. has been building, has been ramping up for the last, you know, sort of 12 to 18 months. So it's not like this is a thing that's all of a sudden just happened. It's been building and has been moving through the economy at speed um, for a number of months. It's just that the mainstream media and the Fed, who are let's call them inflation deniers, uh, you know, don't want to uh, acknowledge it because that makes the public get angry because they don't like inflation because it means, again, the costs of the stuff they buy every day that they need, like food and fuel, keep going up. And um, mm. if you're, you know, if you're not seeing wage price increases or not wage price, but if you're not seeing a wage increase commensurate with the inflationary increase, well, you've just gotten poorer. So, you know, a lot of folks are feeling that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. 
Uh, so moving on, we've gone, you've done the wrap for the year so far, uh, what we've seen. We've talked a lot about in, inflation and where we probably see that's going and what's going to do. What sort of, uh, not exact stocks, but, you know, subset of stocks and, uh, and trends should, should clients be looking out for? Maybe not over Christmas because people sort of log off, but for next year, is there an industry or an industries that are going to be hot target for investing in? Uh, most definitely. So for the next year, and I think even the the remainder of this uh, quarter here in um, in well, not here in, but in Australia and in the U.S., uh, we need to continue to be invested in things like energy, uh, technology, high beta stocks. <clears throat> pardon me, small caps uh, will also continue to perform well. So there's a number of sectors that you certainly want to maintain exposure in. And there's a few sectors you want to continue to avoid, like treasuries, uh, anything that, that's really interest rate sensitive, utilities, treasuries. REITs are a bit of a funny one. Uh, there are some good uh, REITs out there that, that don't seem to have those same uh, issues that um, other REITs have when interest rates start to rise. But nevertheless, it's still a quad two scenario in the U.S. and global equities really at large. Uh, for the end of this year. Uh, Asian equities, um, China is a little bit of a basket case at the moment, and it's infected some other economies in the area. So <laughs> we have this ongoing thing with China and uh, their massive property sector, you know, being virtually yeah. on the brink of collapse with Evergrande and there's some of the companies name I can't remember, uh, you know, going to the wall because surprise, surprise, they've levered themselves up to the hilt. And who now, would have thought? Who, who would have thought? Right. And, and the, the, uh, <laughs> Uh, the Chinese economy is in is in a stagflationary environment right now, which is just horrendous if you own if you own debt. So um, anyway, it's uh, the Asian economy is probably staying away from at the moment, but certainly the U.S., Europe, continuing to power ahead. Australia, caution, probably uh, pretty light on the um, Australian equities. But moving into next year, we're, we are going to see, and I will be putting on some sort of quad pivot or a shift in the asset mixture, probably moving a little bit from the aggressive stance that I have right now in terms of being sort of all in with equities, moving back to maybe a slightly more conservative and even by the middle of next year, potentially defensive stance, anticipating a uh, possible quad four in the U.S., which is going to be um, maybe a mild quad four, but it's still going to be a slowdown in GDP and a slowdown in growth because we will have had all the big recovery stuff mm -hmm. happening you know, and, and it'll just be a, a kind of a case of the comps, the, the GDP comparisons will just show a slowing uh, based on the base effects that uh, happen over a, a period of time. So, that's so kind is, of the, is any in the market, is any slowdown bad? Like, I mean, let's say that uh, I'm going to use figures here because it's not my area, right? So let's say they're growing at a 5% growth rate per year as growth, you know, just in terms of enlarging. And then that drops to a 3%. You know, so it's gone down to two percent, whatever, but it's still growing at three percent. Is that a is that always deemed as a bad thing because it was at five now it's three, or is it still okay because it's still growing anyway at three? No, it's a bad thing um, yeah. because uh, a slowdown is a slowdown. I mean, five to three is still a two percent you know loss in say GDP growth, and that's massive uh, if you think yeah. about it. I suppose so. Yeah, it is a bad thing, and and again, this is where the full cycle process and the looking at those global macro factors really help you determine how to position your portfolio because a slowdown means, if you think of it this way, a slowdown in GDP growth means that company earnings and by default 
company profits, and I'm sp speaking generally here, but company profits and company earnings are going to be slowing. Now, if you're a stock market investor, and right now, I don't know what the, uh, I don't really pay attention to this, but I don't know what the stock market PE ratio is, but it's probably in the US upwards of 24, 25, 26, something like that. That's pretty uh, a pretty high premium to be paying just on a PE basis. So if GDP starts to slow, the assumption can easily be made that we're going to see um, we're going to see company profits begin to also slow. Mm -hmm. And uh, and this is exactly what was happening just before COVID put the dagger into us back in 2019. We were already yeah. seeing that GDP was slowing and by default, earnings growth was slowing. And we had made, in my firm anyway, we had made the pivot to more defensive assets. And of course, that was just timely. You know, we we just kind of got, we were in the right place at the, at the wrong time, I suppose. Um, but it, it uh, ended up being the, the absolute best move to have made at that stage. So again, we'll probably be seeing something similar by the middle of next year in the US uh, with a slowing of the economy. Okay, so you said earlier that the end of next year is looking good for Australia, but the end of next year is not looking so good for the US. What does that mean for Australia? Like it, what happens when we're good and, and the US is not so good? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. So what that likely means for Australia is that we will enter a reflationary uh, environment. So we'll start to see, um, I suspect our currency will strengthen. We will see um, our, our economy broadly improving. So our GDP growth will, will begin to reaccelerate off of these very low base effects. Um, I suspect too that the RBA here will raise interest rates, but then might have to cut them. Now, we'll see what happens with that. They, they might raise them a little bit to deal with the inflation issue. They may be able to get inflation under control. And there's a number of other sort of macro, they call them macro prudential uh, things that are being done. For example, um, tightening up credit standards and stuff like that, that are going to hopefully constrain some of the cash that's been flowing into the real estate market. So for all you property investors out there, I think the uh, you know the growth that we've seen in the last year or two probably we're not going to see that over the next year or two because of what I've just explained. Um, but uh, you know I would also think that as China gets out of the the shit that they're in, they will begin to restock things like copper and iron ore and coal and all of this stuff. Uh, apparently, there's a massive coal shortage in China right now, so I guess there's going to be some people over there uh, freezing to death over the Chinese winter. Um, and I'm not making a joke about that. Like, I truly think that that could be a problem over there. And um, so as they deal with those things, I would have to think that's going to be a beneficial um, outcome or the, the, the benefits to Australia will be will be good and will drive our GDP. OK, all right. Now, that's good. Now, look, once you touched earlier on just then on the coal issue and also mm. on the environmental climate, uh, people feeling unloved and they're back on the cards again. <laughs> Yeah. Um, now those two things are fairly well connected, right? I mean, we talked. We yeah. went to the Australia went to that uh, COP twenty six or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the mm -hmm. conference thing. And so now we're like, oh, we don't want to do coal. You know, we're trying to move out of that. But and yet there's coal shortages in places and people are in trouble. Yeah. Um, so let's let's shift. I don't know how much you're into this, and I'm putting you on the spot. But ESG, right? So all the stuff moving forward with ESG, and if you want to explain a little bit of what that means to the people watching and also uh after that uh that climate summit thing um i read an article that said that uh 
funds management companies to the amount of uh, that had under their belt 130 trillion dollars in funds under management um, mm. have made a commitment to be focused on ESG. Now that is a lot of money moving forward, and that's obviously going to sway where a lot of this investment dollars go in the the years ahead, years and decades, perhaps. So, what is your take on that? Uh, well, ESG investing. So, ESG is, I believe, environment, um, sustainability, and governance. I think that's what that acronym stands for. And it's sort of uh, been a thing that's been created now as a way to measure, and that there are measures out there of how companies rate in terms of ESG investing. And it's really I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory, but, you know, the companies get a rating on uh, are they good for the environment? Are they sustainable companies where they're trying to be sustainable, I suppose, and not um, be net users of of um, resources and then have good governance around things like, um, uh, well, just good corporate governance, but also not taking advantage, I guess, of, uh, mm. you know, cheap labor across the globe and things of this nature. And I, I think ESG investing, my personal take on it is I pay no attention to it. I really don't. I want to make money in the markets, and that's what I'm most concerned about. Um, yeah. And this is what I say to my clients. You know what? I want to make you as much money as I possibly can, and then you can choose how you spend your wealth. If that means you want to go and support uh, programs or charities or whatever it is around the world to help with a variety of needs that we have on this planet that are not being met by governments, certainly please feel free to do that. And the enabler, uh, I'm an enabler of that. I want to, again, make as much money as I possibly can for you. So I'm pretty agnostic around all those sorts of things. Having said that, I probably do stay away from uh, one or two industries that I think are kind of bad for um, bad for the globe in general. Uh, I do not invest really in any coal-related stuff. Um, but the fact of the matter is we rely heavily on fossil fuels. And I think a lot of people you know, get very emotional about this particular topic. And yet, you know, they, they, they attend rallies and they drive their car there. So I just think that's a bit hypocritical of many of the folks in this movement um, who have been unable to get off the grid and go totally solar in their homes, uh, still, you know, rely on public transport or uh, their vehicles to get themselves around, et cetera. So there's a little bit of hypocrisy in all of this. Uh, but I still think and I suppose the way I view ESG and, and this type of argument is deal with the thing that you can deal with, which is your immediate home and your immediate family and immediate community and do everything you can uh, do within reason to try to make the world a better place. Uh, you know, I'll give you an example of this. At, at my home, I had solar panels installed. No, it, it doesn't mean I can be off the grid, but it means that a little bit is going back into the grid uh, from clean energy generation. I have water tanks at my home, so I don't have to tap into uh, the water supply during a drought period unless, my, of course, my tanks are empty. Uh, but in which case, I tend to just let the, the grass go brown. <laughs> but uh, in any case, I'm doing a few things in my own that I can control to uh, to be environmentally, socially and well, not from a government's governance standpoint, yeah, yeah. but just be but, more responsible around it. And that, that's right. And I think if we all do that bit, that that's all good. And, and I agree with what you're saying there in terms of the, the purpose of investing is to, is to make the money. The, the, the thing that I see is if these people, and look, it's all words, right? These conferences and these summits are all just, you know, we come there and, yeah, we all shake hands and, oh, we are all got an accord. We're on one accord and who knows yeah. what actually is going to happen after that, right? But the point is if there is companies with 130 
trillion in assets that start making decisions toward, I don't know, I don't know what an ESG project is, right, or an ESG investment, but if they do, is that's a lot of money going towards that. Would your, you know, does that come on your radar from investment perspective, irrespective of if it is ESG, if it's not ESG, if they're just talking ESG, if there's a whole bunch of money running towards somewhere, do you want a piece of that action? Is that what is that how it works? Um, I, I, yes, sir. I, I understand exactly what you're saying now. And uh, no, I, I don't pay any attention to it at all. I think a lot of these things are fad based and I am process driven and quad driven. So ESG and some of these companies like e, the, the, not ESG, but the environmentally um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, the 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 sectors of the market like solar and wind and, and hydro and all of that, they will typically do well in certain quads In other quads they won't. So a lot of those investments right. are, you know, okay. like utility companies and things like that that are providing yeah. this stuff. And most of those business models actually lose a lot of money. So, uh, you know, again, they're not really something that I pay any attention to at all as an investment asset, uh, asset class. So, yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, no, that's that's okay. No, that, that's why I wanted to ask you that because, mm. um, you know, because you've got your quads based thing, and like I use the property cycle for our property stuff, and it's the same sort mm. of answer, right? I mean, depending on the stage of the market, depending on what's going on, where is depending if that's a good investment or not, irrespective if it's ESG, if it's you know the world's most polluted thing or whatever. I mean, I'm not saying I'd invest in that, but I'm saying mm. that it, some of those things are well outside of the control of that if it's more of a market-based thing. So uh, that's that's very interesting. So once again, we're just being paid lip service to and all these uh, these events. <laughs> well, that come I think on, that um, I think that look, our world leaders certainly have to meet and have these conversations. There's no doubt about it. But you know they. I do. I watch a lot of documentaries on uh, many different topics, and a lot of them have to do with the use of the natural resources that we have on this planet. And um, Kiss the Ground was something that uh, I watched on Netflix recently, a fantastic documentary about kind of sustainable farming. And uh, it, it really opened my eyes to how simple it would be for us to actually reverse and deal with the effects of global warming. And I think we are seeing temperature fluctuations, whether or not it's natural, whatever, you know, I, the, the science on it for me is, is not hundred percent settled. I don't obviously want to get into a political argument about that, but the fix is right before us, but it takes government will and it takes education of the farmers as an example to uh, be shown a better way to do things. And I think if there was a will to do that globally, to really attack and address the issues that are the problem, uh, then we could solve this problem easily. But sadly, you know, I just think things like carbon trading schemes and taxing carbon, and all this absolute waste of time, absolute yeah. waste of time. People just find a way around it. Let's it's address just shifting the root money cause around. Of the problem. Yeah, it is, it just... and it, it's a it's a clever idea, but it's it's the typical government response to something, which is oh well. If that's a bad thing, let's tax it and maybe people will stop doing it. Well, actually, that really doesn't work. All you got to do is look at cigarettes and alcohol and uh, and you can see that they've been unable to tax those two things into oblivion. So, yeah. you know, I mean, carbon's not going to be any different. It's interesting because uh, we, we've got a bit of land and we could actually get carbon credits or get paid or whatever it is. I don't know. I just mm. looked into it briefly to plant trees as long as you don't cut them down and do whatever. Or if you do cut them down, they've got to go back into the ground and I'm going... What? You're going to pay me to plant trees? Now, we haven't done it. We kind of like our bit of open space, but mm. it's, uh, 
Uh, it's bizarre some of the things that are out there that are around here. And this is kind of what I was alluding to with if there is this hype, and as you say, I agree with it, it's like a hype and a fad thing. There's all this money being thrown around in these areas. It's like, you know, some people are going to make money, some people are going to lose money. But there is money gravitating towards these hyped up fad things, I reckon. There are, and uh, and it's a bit sad because definitely people get caught up in the emotion of all of this and, and they don't really spend enough time, I think, uh, analyzing this, the sustainability of something or whether it's even the right thing to do. Like I, I constantly marvel at people that drive Teslas. Um, you know, it was it's because of coal and oil and in steel production, in particular coal, that that car was able to be made. And, you know, and the, the lithium that got extracted from the ground and refined was because of fossil fuels. So they've bought this car <laughs> that was entirely made because of fossil fuels. And it makes them feel better because, you know, they don't have to go to the petrol station to fill it up. Like, I just think yeah. it's such it's so ridiculous in my mind uh, that it just, you know, it just beggars belief. But uh, anyway. But you're a dinosaur, PJ. Come on, dude. you're a dinosaur. Now it's like we're, yeah. we're a dinosaur. I'm a dinosaur. You're a dinosaur. We're, we're it's, mate. If you're over forty, you're you're out of date, supposedly. So there we go. We're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, we are in trouble. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, look out. Look, we're almost out of time. Um, so, any famous last words for the year before we log off? Well, no. Uh, I think that we're all going to be very pleased to see the back of 2021. And uh, I, I really do want to thank all of the Zenium Live uh, viewers and uh, extended family of Zenium Live who watch these shows. And um, I know it's a little bit early, but a happy new year to everyone and, and a very merry Christmas and happy holidays to everyone as well. I hope you're able to spend time with your families and, and celebrate with loved ones despite all of these ongoing restrictions. So um, all the best from me to you. Oh, look at that, mate. It's, where's my tissues? I'm going to... Got a tear. A, got a tear in the eye. It was very heartfelt. All right. Thank you again, PJ. Information has been great. I've taken three pages of notes just sitting here, and I'm actually supposed to be listening to what you're saying on the show. I shouldn't be writing, but uh, it's too much good information. If you have any more information that you want to know, hit us up. Uh, there's been scrolling at the bottom of the screen at uh, zenium.live for the internet site and hello at zenium.live for the email address or one three hundred double six double seven eight nine. and that's it for pj for the year because i think now he just goes away and he's, he's gone for three months of the year he's, he only works part-time really i think uh, don't tell him i said that. i'm sure he can't still hear me now and uh look that's really good uh good information and thank you to everyone listening on the podcast that is the zenium live podcast available at all good podcast outlets all right uh we'll be back for a final show uh next week for the end of the year and uh and that's it we'll see pj uh, next year or next time he's on the show all right that's it i'll see you soon bye